Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today's reading follows, today's gospel reading follows on directly from last week's where uh, Jesus has taken the disciples apart to talk with them about life in community and in particular about how one should deal with fellow members in the church if somebody sins against us. And if you remember from last week, he had four steps in this and they needed to be taken sequentially. The first one was to take up the matter privately, just between the two people. If reconciliation didn't happen at that point in time, then two or three others were to go together with the two who had the conflict so that they could objectively assess the situation and help mediate towards reconciliation. If that didn't work, if reconciliation didn't happen then, then the matter was to be taken to the larger community. And if it still didn't, the person who refused reconciliation was to be cast out of the church. Difficult words of Jesus no less difficult this week. Because Peter, in hearing this word from the Lord about how community was to be a reconciled community, how Christ's body always needed to be a body that was seeking reconciliation one with the other, he asks the question, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive as many as seven times? So Peter's saying to himself, okay, well, that's the way we should go, do it privately. And then, so if this keeps happening, how many times should I actually forgive my brother or sister? And uh, Peter thinks he's being really magnanimous here because in the Jewish culture and the laws of the day, if somebody sinned, did the same sin over and over again, then you were to forgive them three times, but not on the fourth. So Peter says, okay, I'll double the three, I'll make it six, and I'll add one for good measure. So, okay, so I'm being really good about this. I'll forgive seven times, right, Lord? Aren't I good? And Jesus says, no, no. In, in this uh, translation, it says 77 times. You'll have heard it said seven times, 70 times. Uh, the number seven uh, in Jewish tradition is the number of perfection. So actually what Jesus is saying is to infinity and back, right? Uh, that's the number of times that you are to forgive your fellow man, your, your fellow member in this community that is Christ's community. In fact, Jesus is really saying, if you're asking that question, it's the wrong place to start. 
because it's God's kingdom. It's God's kingdom ways that you have been incorporated into and it's an upside down kingdom. The ways in the kingdom are different than the ways of the world. And so the way you're to be is the way that God is. And so he tells this parable uh, that we have called over the years the parable of the unforgiving debtor to make the point even more strongly. Now we hear that the master, the king, has thrown, uh, is going to throw this debtor uh, who owes this debt into jail along with all of his family. And, uh, and, and we're thinking, well, that's not helpful. Uh, but in actual fact, debt was seen to be um, a great sin to be in, de- in debt in that way. And so you, uh, you were put in jail because then you could be uh, sold into slavery. And so the profits of selling these people into slavery would accrue to the person uh, to whom the debt was owed. Um, unless somebody was able to redeem you out of prison. If you had a kinsman who was wealthy enough and didn't want the shame of your imprisonment to fall upon them, uh, then maybe they would be able to get enough money, maybe sell off some property. Your property, if you have any, is going to be sold off to pay the debt. What we don't necessarily hear here because of the terminology of talents and denarii is the huge amount of this debt. It's 10,000 talents. If we do the calculation on a daily wage today and push it forward in today's money in dollars, the debt is $7 billion dollars. In other words, it's an unpayable debt. It's huge. There's no way he's ever going to be able to pay it off. Although he pleads with the master to say, let me free, let me out of jail, and I'll pay it off. There's absolutely no way that he's going to be able to pay it off. Because if a workman were to work 20 years all day, at the end of 20 years, he would have made 6,000 denarii, which would be one talent. He owes 10,000 talents. But he goes and he pleads with the master to have mercy on him. The master doesn't just release him from jail, from going to jail, and all that that would entail, But he completely forgives the $7 billion debt at great cost to himself. He's just eaten $7 billion in monetary worth, in monetary value. It's been costly for him to forgive that debt. But that same slave goes then and goes to his fellow slave who owes him an infinitesimally small amount in compared to what he owed the master. 
and says, pay now or I'm going to see you in jail. And in fact, he can't pay, so he throws him into jail. And his fellow slave asks him for mercy and he refuses to give mercy to him. A hundred denarii, which is what his fellow slave owed him, would maybe be four months' worth of wages. It could have been repaid. But he throws him in jail anyway. And the master, the king, hears about this and says, How could you do that? I've forgiven you so much more in comparison Why would you do such a thing? And he says, in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Because the parable is about forgiveness and it's about forgiveness of our sins and the sins of our fellow man. Our sins are so great, it's like seven billion dollars more. We could never, ever, ever repay to God the sin, the debt that we owe because of our sins. It's unpayable. There's nothing that we can do. But it's him who erases the record of our sin. We have a kinsman redeemer. Our kinsman redeemer who rescues us from that heavy load of debt is Jesus Christ. And he does it on the cross for our sins. Our sins are erased on the cross. It cost him dearly. It cost God the death of his son. It cost Jesus his life. Erasing the record of our sins. It's what the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins and heals all your infirmities. He redeems your life from the grave and crowns you with mercy and loving kindness. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. The slate has been completely erased, wiped clean. If, says Jesus, we have received such forgiveness of such a huge and unpayable debt, must we not forgive the sins of our brothers and sisters? whose sin in comparison with that is so small. The sin of the world and our corporate sin and our individual sin is erased. Not to forgive another's debt or sin is unhealthy in a number of ways. 
not the least of which is how this parable ends. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. In the words of N.T. Wright, he says, Forgiveness is like air in your lungs. There's only room for you to inhale the next lungful when you've breathed out the previous one. If you insist on holding that breath in, refusing to give someone to breathe out the kiss of life they may desperately need, you won't be able to take in any more air yourself and you will suffocate very quickly. In teaching his disciples the Our Father, Jesus makes the point again earlier on in Matthew's gospel. You know it's a radical prayer, right? We gloss over it, but it's a dangerous prayer to pray because in it we plead with God to forgive us our trespasses as, in the same nature as, to the same measure as, we forgive those who trespass against us that's a dangerous prayer to pray and in case we didn't quite get it Jesus goes on to say this for if you forgive others their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. When we carry anger and resentment towards somebody else, the person we really hurt is ourselves. Philip Yancey writes, Not to forgive imprisons me in the past and locks out all potential for change. I thus yield control of my life to another, my enemy, and doom myself to suffer the consequences of the wrong. He went on to say, I once heard an immigrant rabbi who'd been in Germany during the war, concentration camps, pogroms, an immigrant rabbi make an astonishing statement. He said, before coming to America, I had to forgive Adolf Hitler. I did not want to bring Hitler inside me to my new country. I did not want to bring Hitler inside me to a new country. Someone else has put it this way, to hold on to unforgiveness is to allow someone to live rent-free in your head. They're always there. You're never free from the past. But even science has found this to be true. There was a report in 2007 in the Journal of Behavioral Medicine and it found that holding grudges and experiencing chronic hostility stresses the arteries. As with any stressful situation, chronic hostility related to unforgiveness stretches out the arteries which makes little tears inside the arteries and veins. These form tiny deposits of scar tissue that can snag 
drag things going through the blood and make the blood vessels less flexible. That scar tissue increases the risk of, cardio, of a cardiovascular event, such as a heart attack or a stroke. Unforgiveness is also associated with the buildup of cortisol, a hormone that deposits around the adrenal gland. Cortisol is known to disrupt sexual desire, digestion, and the immune system. Unforgiveness literally affects us physically. It harms us. It's harmful. How then do we define forgiveness? It's not merely glossing over the behavior, pretending it didn't happen. It's not saying like, oh, it's all right, it doesn't matter. If it were all right, there'd be nothing to forgive. Again, in the words of N.T. Wright, every time you accuse someone else, you accuse yourself. Every time you forgive someone else, though, you pass on a drop of water out of the bucketful that God has already given you. The key thing is not to swallow all resentment as if nothing happened. The key thing is that one should never, ever give up on making forgiveness and reconciliation one's goal. If confrontation has to happen, as if it often does, it must always be with forgiveness in mind and never revenge. In medical terms, Dr. Owen defined forgiveness strictly as being a freely made choice to move away from negative, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral responses toward a person who's caused a hurt and work towards developing positive, cognitive, emotional, and behavioral responses towards that person. It's to overcome our natural, fallen, human instinct to get back, to seek after revenge, to be vindictive, to strike back in anger. That's the normal response. But it's not the kingdom response. It's not the way that the Lord's called us to be. It requires that we give up all thoughts of revenge and retribution, of refusing to be ruled by hatred, malice, and vindictiveness, all of which can consume us and color all our attitudes and behavior. It's to move from negative to positive feelings. If we're still counting the number of times we've forgiven someone, then according to Jesus' response to Peter, we've not really forgiven them at all. We're merely postponing revenge. A 2011 study was done on HIV-positive patients. Those who were encouraged to forgive past hurts showed improved immune function. Forgiveness literally made them healthier. We forgive, says Lewis Meads, not merely to fulfill some higher law of morality. We do it for ourselves the first and often the only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does 
the forgiving. This is to say that forgiveness is one of the best gifts we can give ourselves. You remember perhaps hearing about the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions in South Africa after the end of apartheid. And Bishop Tutu and Nelson Mandela and the Truth Commissions found over and over and over again that the people who could forgive, who could forgive into their heart, into the deep places, who could work through and move from the negative to the positive, were able to walk into new life. And the ones who could not forgive were bound by the old life. And they never knew the green pastures that the Lord had for them. This was the same in Rwanda where there had been genocide. They found the same thing to be true. It was the same in Mozambique where forgiveness is done, that heavy work of forgiveness is entered into then new life comes about and the old is gone behind it's a choice it's not an easy one it's not easy in fact without God it's impossible because it's his kingdom way and so we have to lean on him we have to lean on what he can do in us you'll remember perhaps I've said this before about Corrie ten Boom who she and her family had helped Jews escape during World War II and they were betrayed by a neighbor the rest of her family were killed her sister Betsy and her were taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp and Betsy died there of illness of malnutrition of beatings of all the horrors that went on in those places but Kari Temboom, at the end of the war, having survived that terrible time, went back to Germany to preach the gospel of reconciliation and forgiveness. And she records one time when she's saying this message of forgiveness and reconciliation to a room of silent and downtrodden people. She's looking out in the room. She sees someone in a suit but immediately she recognizes him as one of the most violent guards at Ravensbrück and she sees again the SS the Gestapo uniform and she sees at the same time the image of her dear sister Betsy naked in the room before all of these people and she looks at him and at the end of her talk he comes down towards her and says Fraulein I've come to know Jesus and I know I'm forgiven but you talked of Ravensbrook and I was a guard there and he extends his hand and says can you forgive me and at that minute all of the words that she had spoken were wrapped up into this image of this man in his Gestapo uniform 
and the picture of Betsy dying and then dead. And she's praying and she says, Lord, I can't do this. I've been preaching this. I know this to be true. Lord, just give me the ability to extend my hand and do the rest through me. And she says, and my hand went up and his hand and my hand joined together. And she said, at that moment, there was such an amazing sense of God's love that completely transformed her body, that rushed through every part of who she was. She was blown away by this overwhelming sense of God's love for this action that she did, only through his power working in her. And she looked the man in the eye and said, Yes, brother. I can forgive you with all my heart. It's a choice. It's not an easy one. But it is possible through God's grace. And it's something we must do because we're children of light. And we're to be reconciled people to preach reconciliation into the world of darkness. We're to be reconcilers, reconciled people who reconcile others to the Prince of Peace. And we're to do it, firstly, because God says we must do it. But also because it's healthy for us. And that's perhaps precisely why God says we must do it. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.